before I get started on my talk, I just wanted to make a, just a quick comment about, you know, Nicole mentioned the annual ministry celebration and the whole idea of membership. And we're in a season where we're inviting or asking people who call Crossroads their church to just reaffirm, hey, I, I'm in. You know, I'm a part of this church. I'm, I'm supporting the church with my time, talent, and treasure. And we just, it's kind of like joining the team and saying, hey, I'm, I'm on the team. So if you're already a current member uh, on the back of the Connect card, you could just go, hey, continue my membership. I'm on the team. If you're not a member, um, and in your program also is a card that describes membership and what it means to be a member. And if you're going, you know what, that's, that's where I am. I'm, this is what... This is my church, and this is what I'd like to do, so you could check that box as well. And if you're unsure that you're a member, you're not really sure, um, or you have questions about it, like what's this thing about, right after the service, out along the south wall in the atrium uh, is a table, and some of our council members will be there. And so if you have questions or wonder, hey, am I a member, um, you can just check in with that crew right there. And uh, if you're curious about what membership is all about, come to the annual ministry celebration next weekend. You don't have to be a member to come to that. You could kind of find out a little bit more about the inside and kind of what happens and how we conduct ourselves in our church community. So you're all invited to that. How many of you have a dog or have had a dog? Oh my, there is dog people all over. Well, when we were growing up, we had a, a number of years ago, we had a Sheltie named Shelby. And that we have a picture of her here. And uh, we loved this little Sheltie. In fact, there was one of her fav- most favorite activities happened when we had a snowstorm. And I would go out to shovel off the driveway. And Shelby would get at the edge of the driveway and she'd like wait till I got a shovel full of snow and I'd throw it off the driveway and she would run and jump right into the snow and just bark. And, and then she'd get back over and wait for the next shovel and I would throw another one a little higher, and she'd jump and leap into that thing. And we just keep doing this until I got the whole driveway cleared. And she was exhilarated. She was exhausted. She looked like the abominable snow dog. But I'll tell you, she never felt as free and as happy as she did in that moment of snow shoveling. You could say she got lost in the moment. When was the last time you got we're doing something that where you just loved so much, it was so freeing that you got lost in the moment. Like some of you, you love to cook. Oh man, you got the pans, you got the spices, you got all the utensils, and when you get ready to cook, your, your kitchen looks like a tornado in a grocery store. And when you get the thing all fixed, sometimes you do something that absolutely makes no sense to me. You post a picture of your food on social media. <laughs> Like this one. Now that's salmon, right? People post pic. Now if you wanted to post a picture of salmon, I think it should look like this. Now there's a picture of salmon. Or maybe you're making trout almondine and you want to post a picture of that. Oh. Now here's a picture of a trout right here. Little fish bragging going on here. <laughs> but you, if you love to cook, you can get lost in the freedom of a cooking moment. Some of you play video games. You know what this is like. You skip meals, irritate your roommates, uh, lose sleep because you get lost in the freedom of a moment of video gaming. Some of you are on, you're creative. 
You're, you're an artist. And you can be painting or composing or writing or drawing, and you look down and you go, four hours have just passed. Because there's something so freeing about that activity that you just get lost in the moment. Some of you get lost in moments of football watching or sports watching, right? I mean, you are so engaged. Like I had a friend, true story, long time ago, doesn't live here, who he got so engaged in watching football games, his wife said to him, honey, when you're watching a football game, you get so caught up in that moment. I could come down and sit in that chair right over there, stark naked, and you wouldn't notice. (laughs) So one day, he's watching a football game, and she comes down, en natural, and do you think he noticed? Well, yeah, he did, actually. Yeah, he did. (laughs) We're in a series called The Winner's Circle, and on week one, Ryan talked about our drive to succeed and win, and that the role that service-oriented ambition plays in our path to, to that winner's circle. And then last week, Rod Kaya talked about how Jesus stood the whole idea of greatness on its head. He said the great person isn't the one who's sitting at the table being served. The great person is the one who's serving those who are sitting at the table. And today, I want to talk about freedom. What role does freedom play in this whole idea of serving? And what does freedom look like? Freedom's a big deal in our country, wouldn't you say? And this is your first fill-in note on your program notes if you want to fill it in. We got to vote this week. That's a freedom. Our national anthem, oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave, or the land of the free, right? We have a we, have a, we sing, let freedom ring. Our uh, Pledge of Allegiance says, uh, with liberty and justice for all. And liberty is from the Latin word liber, which means free. Dr. Martin Luther King closed his I Have a Dream speech with these words. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Well, has living in the land of the free made us free? We spend enormous amounts of money and brain energy fantasizing about the kind of freedom we would enjoy if only we had more of that. More power, more justice, more sex, more money, more security, more sales, more time off, more health. Sorry, Wendy, I'm going too fast here. (laughs) You're doing great. More beauty, more family, more youth, more morality, more of our political party in Congress, more prayer, more religious devotion, more quiet, more education, more technology. How many of you have a smartphone? How many of you would go, I need a smarter smartphone because I'm not smart enough to run the one I have, so maybe if I got a smarter one, it would help me. If I had a smarter smartphone, I'd be truly free. Well, have these things, these devices brought us freedom? The average American spends three hours and 15 minutes per day on that device. Individuals who own a smartphone pick them up and look at them, guess how many times a day? 58 times on average. Are they freeing us or enslaving us? Well, I think they're enslaving us. Here's the test. 
leave your phone home for a full day and ask me how free you feel. Tell me how free you feel. The fantasy of freedom is that if I could just have more of that, I could be truly free. We just did a whole series on the con of having more of that make us free. But it's a big deal in our country. Freedom is a big deal in our religion. Eugene Peterson, pastor and author, writes, being provided with the freedom of religion has not made us free. Coercive cults and enslaving superstitions continue to proliferate. Assembling with people in a church and listening to ringing proclamations of freedom, the one whom the, set set, whom the sun sets free is free indeed, has not made us free. When I looked at all the people I was living with as pastor, fairly affluent, well-educated, somewhat knowledgeable about the Christian faith, kind of like us, I realized how unfree they were. They were buying expensive security systems to protect their possessions from burglary. They were overcome with anxieties in the face of rising inflation. They were pessimistic about the prospects for justice and peace in a world bristling with sophisticated weapon systems and nuclear devices. They were living huddled, worried, defensive lives. I wanted to shout, you don't have to live this way. So gut check time. How free are you today? How many times a week do you get lost in a freedom moment where your soul is shouting or whispering, again, again, higher, higher, and not tied up in a moment of anxiety or stress or worry or pain or regret or conflict where our souls scream out, oh God, please, never again. What's freedom anyway? Well, for many people, the definition of freedom is this. I can do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, with whomever I want to do it. In other words, me, myself, and I have complete sovereignty over my life. That's genuine freedom. Okay, we're going to test that idea out a little bit. So I have this brand new saw. Just bought it this week. It's never been used. Never been used. And so we're going to check out that. So the best way to check about the freedom of a saw is to use it, right? So we start sawing this board. that I, And it's just, I mean, it's gliding. I mean, this saw is, wouldn't you say it's free? I mean, it's cutting sharp. It's, it's, it's doing its thing. If its operator could run it better... And, man, it's just, it's doing what it was designed to do, right? Pretty good. But what if this saw was operating on the definition of freedom I just mentioned? I can do whatever I want to do with whomever I want to do it, whenever I want to do it. Right? Now, let me ask you, how free is this saw? How free is it? Was that genuine freedom? Sawing on a concrete block? Making sparks? No, that's, that's, that's not a very good definition of freedom, is it? Here's my definition of freedom. Freedom is doing what I was created to do and doing that with everything I have. 
See, freedom for itself, it did whatever it wanted to do, not what it was created to do or designed to do. And it begins to function outside of its design. How free is it really? Like now, how free is this saw to cut this board? Not as free as it was. Not as free as it was. But freedom is a big deal. And so let's, let's look at what is the, what's the Bible offer us regarding freedom. Freedom is a big deal in the Old Testament story. Arguably, the central event of the Old Testament is called the Exodus, when the nation of Israel was, that had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years was delivered out of slavery, at least for a time, into a land where they had the potential to experience the kind of flourishing life that God had designed for people, for human beings. And on the way, out after God had freed them from slavery and on their way to where they were going to develop their lives, he gave them the Freedom Charter. We call it the Ten Commandments, where God says, here's the guidelines. You want to live free? Here they are. And we know the story. The nation of Israel couldn't do it or wouldn't do it, at least not in a world where other powerful nations around them continually wanted more land and more slaves or more power. And time after time, nations and people would be subjugated to a neighboring nation whose functional definition of freedom was what? I could do anything I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want. And as this cycle of power and slavery continued to churn through history, this dream, this vision, this little light turned on of hope in the future, of a coming liberator, a coming Messiah that would once and for all bring the kind of freedom, not just to Israel, but to our planet that we long and hope for. Freedom was a big deal in the Old Testament story. Freedom is a big deal to Jesus. When Jesus went public for the first time, he was in the synagogue or the local church, and it was his turn to read the scriptures, and he called for the scroll of Isaiah, and he rolled way down into the scroll of Isaiah to chapter 60. And this story is found in Luke chapter 4. And this is how it goes. Jesus reads this from the Isaiah scroll. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim, here it is, freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, today, this scripture is fulfilled. It's accomplished. It's here. It's arrived in your hearing. And then day after day, week after week, Jesus lived and taught what this genuine freedom looked like. And the freedom charter for Jesus, would, we find it in the Sermon on the Mount, we call it. It's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And then after Jesus left the earth, this new lifestyle of freedom, this good news, began to take root and flourish. And then this very devoted, fiery, gifted man came on the scene, Saul, who was renamed Paul after a dramatic, life-transforming experience with the resurrected Jesus. There's no greater spokesperson for genuine freedom in the New Testament than Paul. And freedom is a big deal to Paul in his writings in the New Testament, he mentions the word free or freedom 28 times. The rest of the New Testament mentions that word eight times. And Paul's letter to the Galatians could be called Paul's freedom charter. And the bullseye of this whole letter 
is chapter 5, where Paul lists three necessary qualities of freedom. Galatians 5, 1 and 2 says, Christ has set us free to live a free life, so take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I'm emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. Necessity number one, freedom is an inherent gift that naturally flows from the nature of God as Father, Son, and Spirit. God is the freest reality, the freest essence in the universe. The biblical story begins with God creating a world and the people in it freely, not out of necessity. God didn't have to do it. It was a free act on God's part. And since a free God is at the center of all existence and all creation, and every creature comes out of that free act, freedom and not necessity is always a deeper and more lasting reality. And at the center of this worldview is Jesus the freest person who ever lived. And living in and around and through the Father and the Son is the Spirit who is free. As Jesus says, the Spirit is like the wind. It blows where it wills. And when a human being who is created with the divine freedom DNA lives by faith within the design of this reality, we're the freest we can ever be. Freedom is at the heart of what it means to be a human being. And it comes as a gift simply by being born a human being. So it's a gift. Number two, freedom is also a skill to be developed. Paul says, so take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. And later in the verse two, he says, don't squander it. So it, it's a gift, but there's things to do with it and things not to do with it. Take some skill. He says, avoiding harnesses of slavery is a skill. And interestingly enough, the harness of slavery that Paul references here is not the political oppression of the Romans, though that abounds. Interesting. He, Paul says it's the whole system of religious laws that they tried to follow for 2,000 years. And there was a group of people who were trying to get the Galatians to get circumcised which in their culture was that supreme act of religious devotion. And Paul says, don't do it. Not only don't buy into the Jewish rule-keeping system, but any rule-keeping system, and here's the key, as the basis for your life. Rules are good, but rules are tools. And if we make them a god, they make terrible gods. They make wonderful guides, but terrible gods. And that's Paul's point, that's Jesus' whole point. And here's four reasons why. Rules set up systems of comparison, which leads to an insider-outsider. And often there's a judgment that goes with that. Because if I keep the rule, I'm in. And if you don't, you're out, and I'm better than you. Second, rule enforcement systems seldom lead to deeper relationships. Coercion creates distance. And when we have to enforce a rule, right, which we do sometimes, but you, you ask yourself this, 
The next time you have to ground your teenager and they slam the door in your face, did your relationship get closer? No, because you needed to enforce the rule. But anytime we lean on enforcement, especially if it's the God, it just creates more and more distance in relationships. Or the next time you get a ticket for going 39 into 35, ask yourself how close you feel to that officer. <laughs> Another reason rule-keeping systems have no room for grace. Whenever grace is extended, the rule has to be suspended. And the last one, rule-keeping systems will eventually crush us. Nobody can keep them. You can't, I can't. Many people have a New Year's resolution, which is a rule for the new year. We can't even keep one. I read a book about the whole book of Galatians by Eugene Peterson, and the title of the book was called Traveling Light. And I thought, that's such a good description of what Jesus is offering us. And, and chapter after chapter, he goes into what it means to, be, to experience all these freedoms as a gift, but also as a skill to be developed. And I have a list of all the chapters in this book. There's 15 of them. Now just read that list. Free to live, free to change, free to resist, to explore, to think, freedom to fail, to receive, to trust, stand, love, create, give, die, and the first chapter, and it's free for all. It's not a free for all. It's free for everybody. Although there's a free for all component to freedom I'm going to talk about in a minute. And when I read that list, I have two thoughts. The first one is, you know, a lot of those are skills that need to be developed. I can grow in these areas. These are freedoms, but they can grow. They can expand. I can learn to love better. I can learn to be more creative. I can learn to change. You can too. It's a skill. It's a freedom, but it's a skill to be developed. And my second thought when I look at that list is if any human being on the planet saw that list, wouldn't they say, that's what I want? Wouldn't any community in the world, except for some insane ones, right? Won't look at that list and go, that's what we want. That's what we're trying to get. That sounds like a pretty good life to me, doesn't it to you? Here's the third necessary quality of freedom. Galatians 5.13. It's absolutely clear that, that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Whatever you want to do, destroy the freedom of this. And here's the, here's the point. Number three, freedom is always risky and cannot be domesticated. There are unpredictable energies in it that are of its very essence. If we're going to have the deep excitements of freedom, we also have to live with the risks of it. Paul is very aware of the risks of the kind of freedom he's defending. It's a freedom that can't be withdrawn, it can't be rationed or caged, because to do so would make it unfree. Let me illustrate this. How many of you have ever seen a live bear? Yeah, I mean, we like bears, right? They're wonderful animals. They have characteristics we're drawn to. They're furry, they're cuddly, they're lazy, they're big, they're soft. They can be very comical and playful. I mean, why is it that one of the most common stuffed animals is what? The teddy bear, oh man. Or we have build-a-bear, right? 
My granddaughter has a mermaid bear. Build the bear. We have one of the favorite stories, bears of all, Winnie the Pooh. And then we have our very own Care Bear team. Here they are. <laughs> right? This was their booth at Oktoberfest a couple of weeks ago. This is our disability inclusion team. It's the Care Bears. I'll tell you what, no kid was afraid of them. No kid was afraid of them. But because they're domesticated, those kinds of bears are safe and they're predictable. I have one more picture of a bear. How about this bear? A grizzly bear. The bears are incredibly beautiful, but completely unpredictable. They can be congenial, but they're often violent. And there's only two places we find grizzly bears, right? In a cage or in the wild. You don't have them laying around your backyard as a pet. I read a story about a dad and a daughter who went for a hike in a wilderness area in Montana. And if you live in Montana, grizzly bear stories abound. People love to tell grizzly bear stories, but they don't want to be in the story, and they especially don't want to be in the grizzly. And they, they went on a hike, and they walked in, and they, were, they, they saw a grizzly bear just tearing the earth apart, looking for bulbs to eat and you know, bugs and grubs and all of that. And their awe beater just spiked because there was something they were drawn to about that bear, right? I mean, whoa, look at that bear. But their fear meter also spiked at the same time because while they wanted to see the bear, they didn't want the bear to see them. And so they kind of snuck away and they got about a mile down the road and his daughter said to her dad, hey dad, I had two prayers answered today. One, I got to see a grizzly bear. Two, the grizzly didn't see me. <laughs> and here's the thing about wild animals. You can train them, but you cannot tame them. And it's the same way with freedom. We can train freedom, but we cannot tame it because if we tame it, it is unfree. And that's at the very center of the universe. It's the very center of the nature of God. He put that in us. It can be guided. It can be trained. But if you clamp down on it, if you cage it, it's not free. Love is the same way. Albert Camus, philosopher, in his speech upon receiving the Nobel Prize, said this about freedom. Liberty, freedom, is dangerous, as hard to get along with as it is exciting. Paul says you were called to freedom, wild, risky freedom. But it's dangerous because it can quickly become self-serving if it's not trained. Galatians 5.14, he says, For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you'll be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? And this is easy to do, isn't it? Just to use our freedom to bite. To bite. At least I'm doing my share around here chomp. Your sister would never do that. Chomp. You voted for... Oh, I know what some of you are thinking. What's wrong with you? Bite. And when we bite, the natural reaction is what? Bite back. That's what Paul says. 
And if we can't absorb a bite, pretty soon it's, he says, you're raging and you're annihilating each other. And where is anyone's freedom then? And here's a verse that brings this whole conversation into crystal clear bullseye focus. Galatians 5.16. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love and that's how freedom grows. Here's how to take this wild, untamable, exhilaratingly high octane of freedom and use it. And this is what we were created for. Don't miss this. The purest expression of freedom is serving others in love. Now, this sounds kind of simple, but when you bend a grip, get a grip on this, it is profound. The purest form of freedom is to use that freedom to serve somebody else in love. As Bishop Robert Barron says, freedom is not so much liberty of choice, but rather the disciplining of desire, training for the skill, so as to make the achievement of the good first possible and then effortless. You see the process there of how freedom grows? We, we train and get skills of these freedom, and the more we do it, it makes the good possible. And then the more we do it, the more we practice it, pretty soon doing that just becomes effortless. How many of you learned a second language? You know, many of you have. And it is a process, isn't it? Right? Because on this end of the spectrum, we learned to... I mean, I have this kind of Spanish. I can count to 10, maybe 20 in Spanish, and I can say hello and what is your name? Do I have freedom in Spanish? No. No. And I can get to... Now, all the, all the way up to the other end of the spectrum, which is fluency. When, when do you become free in that spectrum, where you go, okay, now. I mean, early on in the process of learning language, there's a lot of effort, 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 but there comes a moment, there comes a tipping point when the effort pays off and the freedom in that language grows and you begin experiencing that with genuine freedom. And this happens in all kinds of skills, right? Music and cooking and fly fishing and teaching and piloting a plane. And the person I want piloting my plane is the one who has very free. <laughs> I don't want somebody who's down here, oh, let's see, well, do I need to put the wheels down? <laughs> the more we speak and live the language of serving others in love, we will create a thriving, growing culture of freedom. We never are more free than we get lost in moments of loving one another. When we become fluent, in the language of serving others out of love. And it becomes this natural thing that we just do. But freedom isn't static. It can grow. Verse 13, it says, the freedom can grow. And grow is a living, organic process. Right? This isn't a machine of freedom. This is a, this is a tree. This is a fruit tree of freedom that we're growing. And Paul says... This is how it starts. It's animated and motivated by God's Spirit. We can't do this on our own. It's animated and motivated by God's Spirit. And then in verse 18, it says, and then we choose to be led by the Spirit. So the Spirit's in us. The Spirit is leading us. And then he says, this is the natural outcome. There's fruit. In 5.23 and 24, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, here it comes, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says this, 
Against such there is no law. There are no rules against these things. What is a fruit? Well, it's two things. It's something to be eaten and enjoyed, right? I have a piece of fruit. I eat it and enjoy it. And if I don't actually eat and enjoy it, what's going to happen to it? It's going to rot. It's going to go bad. But the second thing the fruit is, is it's a seed, isn't it? I could take that fruit and plant it. And in the process of the organic, natural growth, that it's going to come up and it's going to get bigger and it's going to produce fruit. Serving one another in love, this is Paul's point, is not like dropping a pebble in a pond where you drop the pebble and it ripples out and that's it. No lasting impact. Paul says, these are fruits. Enjoy them and plant them. And when we plant these fruits, fruits come up. Because God is the foundational orienting reality, the creator. God is the one who sustains it. God is the one who makes it grow. Have you ever wondered, how many of you use garden, have garden? You take this dead dry seed that's been in this packet and it looks dead and you put it in the ground and you put a little water on it and what happens? Magic, right? It just grows. There's mystery in that to me. It's not just a biological process. There is the potential of life in that seed and the seed dies for it to grow. But fruit is a seed, but it's also something that we can enjoy. And God is the found orienting, foundational orienting reality. God doesn't just love. God is love. And when we plant this divine love, what comes up? Love, joy, peace, patience. Because that's the fruit of the Spirit. There's no laws. We can't pass laws against this stuff. How many of you would like to pass a law in northern Colorado? There will be no dandelions in my lawn next spring. I think we could get it passed, right? Next spring, what's going to come up in your yard? Because there are certain realities that law have, our laws are completely irrelevant. Just as if we passed a law that said my peach tree is going to produce peaches every year. We could pass the law, well, guess what? It functions on a completely different reality. And that's the kind of love Jesus is talking about. That's the kind of freedom that Jesus and Paul and the Old Testament story, it's the kind of freedom that your heart longs for. It's the kind of freedom that would put our communities back together. It's the kind of freedom that we could disagree agreeably instead of disagree disagreeably and just keep disagreeing disagreeably, 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 disagreeably. No law can stop it. Serving one another in love, there's no laws against it. There's no laws that can make it happen. There's no laws against it. And maybe that's, it can get tiring, right? It can get tiring. That's why Paul says in the next chapter, do not let us grow weary in doing good for at the proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He's saying you can't go out and plant love, can't go out and plant potatoes and tonight have potatoes for dinner. Sometimes when you plant love or joy or peace or patience, it takes a long time for it to grow. You go, well, it didn't grow in them. Well, it can grow in you. It can grow in you and me. 
And so what's God inviting us into today? A couple weeks ago, Barbara and I got to spend a full day with our trip. We have triplet granddaughters, there four, in Denver. And we had an unbelievable blast all day long. We played, we read books, we built big, magnificent structures out of magnet tiles. We cuddled, we went for walks. They'd walk under a tree in the park and I'd shake the fall branch and down would come all these golden leaves on them. It's like a snowstorm of gently falling golden maple leaves. We went to three parks. It was a long day. <laughs> well, we went to this one park where there was this big swing. And the swing was like this wide. And it was like this big kind of bowl, short bowl with cables on the side. And first Ivy got in, and I was pushing her on this swing. And she's getting laughing and laughing. And then Stella comes over and says, Papa, I want on. And so now Stella gets on, and I'm pushing the two of them, and Cora comes running over, Papa, Papa, I want on. And so Cora gets on, and I'm pushing them, and I'm pushing them, and guess what they're saying? Papa, again, right? Again. And then they were saying, Papa, higher, higher. And I have a picture of them right here. Lost in a moment of freedom, completely free, but gift, right? Life is a gift, Tuesday was a gift, the swing was a gift, skill, they got to hang on, <laughs> right? They're hanging on, risky, yeah. They could fall off. I mean, I picture them like going off this thing, right? But do you think they're going stop? No, because that's the experience of freedom. We know it's risky. We know it takes development. We know it's a gift, but we want it so bad. And when we experience those moments, we're never more free than we're in, a free in this moment. And that's true when it comes to swinging. It's true when it comes to loving and serving one another. We're never more free than when we're serving our family in love again and again, higher and higher. And as we practice these, loving each other, and what does it look like in a family? I do the dishes again. I take out the trash when it's not my turn. I extend curfew once in a while. It's freedom in a family. And we want more, and it can, first it starts as a skill, and as we go at it, it becomes effortless. And it happens in friendships. We cook another meal for that friend. We listen to another conversation with that person who's been hurting for six months, 10 months, 12 months, and cannot get out of the funk that they're in. But we, as a friend, hire and higher again and again. And when we go to work and we're around grumpy people, higher, higher, again and again. And our church, oh man, I know some of you, you're weary in serving and doing good. Don't give up. Don't give up. There's fruit 
to be had. Some of it's green, some of it's not ripe yet, some of it's still in the ground. It's God's business at making it grow. It's our business. Serve one another in love again and again and higher and higher. And the next one is probably the test of genuine freedom. Loving our enemies. Because here's what happens. You have an enemy. Who knows? It could be an enemy for a minute or it could be an enemy for a week or a month or a lifetime. Where they say something caustic to you. And you have the freedom not to say a caustic remark back. Now that's freedom. When you don't let your enemy dictate to you what your response is going to be. But you, in fact, respond differently. And that's why the cross is so central in all of Paul's conversation in this chapter. He says, because that's what Jesus did on the cross. He absorbed all of that. And he didn't retaliate in kind. He absorbed evil. He absorbed betrayal. He absorbed and he gave out love and joy and peace and patience and justice and love and grace and relationship. Again and again and higher and higher. At the end of our wonderful day together, uh, we're getting ready to leave on Tuesday night and Ivy can tell that we're leaving. And she goes, Papa, when are you leaving? And I said, sweetheart, we're getting ready to go in just a minute. And she ran across the room and she grabbed my leg. Papa, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go. And I picked her up. I just held her. Now that's the kind of winner circle I want to be in and I want to stay in. Higher and higher. Again. We're going to do another song and um, the ushers are going to come by and collect the offering. It's part of our life together and you can fill out the connect card and drop in the offering basket with we'll passing it, but let's, let's do this song together.